Hello, dear friends. That theme song means it is time for Let's Talk About Jesus right here on our website. I am Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, I have uh, something that we're going to bring you from the Word of God that can turn everything around in our life, in our nation, in our world. If we embrace and we apply this great truth of God. Amen. I believe we're going to see some things change on a global and personal scale. Amen. And it involves intercession, effective intercession. But the name of our teaching is how to pray for our nation. We want to use this opportunity of effective intercession. You know, the scripture says of prayer, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Praise God. Amen. One translation says, is mighty in its working. And the devil is is out to get us in such distraction and discouragement and despair that we don't don't even bother to use the privilege and the power of prayer effectively. And because of that, we do not enter into effective intercession. That kind of praying that will change the direction of someone's life, will change the attitude and atmosphere within the human heart. You know, the scripture said that the, that our weapons are not, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. These are spiritual weapons to win spiritual wars, and in particular for the souls the minds and souls of men and women. That's why this is so important today. How to pray for our nation is all about how to intercede effectively. So in Second Chronicles 7:14, very familiar this portion of Scripture, probably the most uh, quoted Scripture when we are praying for our nation. But within this great verse, there are four conditions that must be met and three promised blessings if they are. Amen. Glory to God. Well, let's read it together today. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's begin by examining these four conditions, which I call the four imperatives of successful intercession. Number one, if my people, which are called by my name, and that's the imperative of relationship. Moffat's translation says, if my people who belong to me. You see, there's great privilege in being his people and his sheep and his children. Having God as our king and our shepherd 
and our very Father places each of us in a highly privileged position, a relationship that ensures great power in prayer because of God's covenant with Abraham. The nation of Israel enjoyed a special personal relationship with God, a real covenant relationship with God. Look at Deuteronomy 4 and verse 7 with me today. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? (laughs) Amen. Listen to how God speaks to Israel uh, in Isaiah 43, uh, 1 through 3. Listen to it. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by my name, thou art mine. He's speaking possessively of them, and we therefore are able to speak possessively of him. In the new covenant, it would start like this in the pattern for all prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven. Hallelujah. Listen to verse 2 here. When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle on thee. Amen. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I'm your God, and the Holy One of Israel, and you are my people. Glory to God. We now belong to God. We are His people, and He is our God. So the first imperative is this relationship with God. And in order to have this kind of covenant relationship with God, we must be forgiven our sins and reconciled unto him. That's why the Bible speaks in the new covenant of of the fact that through the blood of Jesus, we can be reconciled unto God. And we who were aliens and we who were outcasts are brought in to the covenant relationship on a much greater scale and much higher level than Israel in the Old Covenant. The New Covenant brings both Jew and Gentile into a relationship with God, a reconciled relationship because we have been ransomed, hallelujah, by the blood of Jesus. We are indeed God's people today, and God is our heavenly Father. He's not the force in heaven. He's not just the man upstairs. He's my Abba. He's your Abba. Amen. And because of the spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father, and the Holy Spirit cries, Amen, <laughs> to, to confirm that truth to us. Glory to God. If my people that are called by my name shall humble themselves, this is the imperative of humble dependency. It's an expression of faith in prayer marked by humility. Look at Second Chronicles. 34 and verse 27 to the king of Judah listen because thine heart was tender and thou didst humble thyself before God 
when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Prayer that prevails is more a matter of the heart than it is the head. We must come in humble dependency upon the Lord. Why? James 4, 6 is very clear. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Glory to God. Listen, the Bible says to humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in due season. Jesus humbled himself. That's why God exalted him. Amen. Though he thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, he humbled himself and took on himself the form of a servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him. Hallelujah. If we humble ourselves and seek his face, that's the imperative of truly seeking God. We do not just seek his favor. We seek his face. One translation says, seek his presence. In Psalm 63, 1, listen. It says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory, so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Hallelujah. Seeking God, friend, seems to many to be a lost art, a task too costly to pursue seriously. But the Bible said in the book of Amos 5 and 4, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Hallelujah. Praise God. And in verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord, and you shall live lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, for there and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Praise God. Friend of mine, we need to be able to intercede effectively, especially when we are under the chastisement, the corrective chastisement of God. I didn't say the destructive judgment of God, but the corrective chastisement of God. I believe the world is under chastisement, not just our nation. Do we deserve chastisement? Absolutely. What is the purpose of chastisement? Repentance and restoration. Repentance and restoration. And if we humbly seek his face, he said, I'm going to listen when you pray. I'm waiting for that attitude of humility and dependence, and I'm waiting for you to hunger for me. Amen. You see, we're not just seeking God. Well, let me put it this way. Many times we're more concerned about our personal survival, and that drives us to seek God, than national revival. 
which would assure our personal survival, but not just us, but so many people that are on the road to destruction. We need a revival in America. Not just survival of the fittest or survival of the Christians. We need a revival. Not just for surviving this time that we're in, this condition that we're in, but that, that we might see the, a global in gathering of souls just before the coming of Jesus Christ. When we pray selfless prayers, that we might see God move mightily. That's what this is talking about here. Let me read Psalm 63 again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Verse 1 and 2. O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek for Thee. My, seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see Thy power and Thy glory as I have seen in the sanctuary. Hallelujah. And then the next imperative is to turn from our wicked way. And that's the imperative of personal repentance. Listen to Psalm chapter 24 or Psalm 24 and verses 3 through 6. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. Hallelujah. O Jacob, Selah. You see, this seeking of God through repenting of sin, personal repentance, we can climb the hill of the Lord. Amen. We can turn from our wicked way and we can draw near to God. And he says, if you meet these imperatives, hallelujah, then I'm going to meet you with answered prayer. I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. This is so important today. Amen. The issue of prayer is not an issue. It is to get an answer, of course. But to get that answer, we need to know that God hears us. And in the new covenant, it was a given. They understood this principle because it said, we know that God heareth not sinners. That won't, doesn't mean he won't hear your prayer of repentance or mine. It means that if we are hell-bent on sinning, literally hell-bent on sinning, because we're under the influence of the evil one and the weakness of our flesh is no match for the draw of the tempter. Friend of mine, I want you to know if we're under his spell, if we're held in those chains of darkness and we refuse to repent, and let God bring us out of that place. We're in no position nor condition for Him to hear us when we pray. A friend of mine, I want you to know we need to be in a posture before God. In a position of right standing with God. So that we can know that when we pray, He hears 
from heaven. I'm going to tell you if God hears, <laughs> we, we have the assurance of the answer. That's why the Bible said in the new covenant, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. <laughs> and if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the answer or have the petition that we have brought before him. Amen. Then will I hear from heaven and secondarily promising I'll forgive their sin. Amen. It, isn't that incredible? God is so willing. You know, when we pray for the sick, according to James 5.14, and we do in our church, we have the anointing oil available. <laughs> Amen. Because James 5.14 says to us as the children of God, Amen, Jew and Gentile that are Christian, Hallelujah. The new covenant declares if that if there's any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And we're not done. We're not done with just our healing. Listen, and if they have committed any sin, it shall be forgiven them. So when we're laying hands on the sick, we're not just trying to obtain the physical healing, uh, for, which is a temporal healing, for, because one day this body's going to give out completely and no prayer is going to change it. But until then, we can be healed until our time to go home and we can intercede for that healing in the name of Jesus but let me tell you something, this healing, this forgiveness of sin, it, it, once it, it occurs, it, it is as if it had never happened. Praise God. Amen. It affects us here in our relationship to God and fellowship with him, our ability to intercede in our behalf and families and behalf of others. Amen. But it also, praise God is something that allows us to have such boldness and confidence when we pray. Because our sin that the devil will bring up, when we go to pray, he'll point that finger at us to try to get us to not pray in bold courage and faith. But if we've committed any sin, it shall be forgiven. God wants to hear from heaven. He wants to forgive our sin and then he says, I will heal their land. Now, I, I love the way the Bible speaks. I, I've said it before. I've said it so many times. God doesn't mince words. We can take this scripture and turn it every which way. We can leave it in the old covenant and say, that was to Israel then, this is now. I'm going to tell you something about the then and now. The God of ancient Israel is the God of the new covenant. There's a different dispensation, but we're serving the same God. And the Bible says of this God, our God, he changes not. I'm the Lord God of Israel, and I change not. And I'm going to tell you, we're more highly qualified to pray through the blood covenant of Jesus in the new covenant than they were under the blood of bulls and goats in the old covenant. 
<laughs> Brother Venerable, how, how can you make a statement like that? Because the new covenant declares that the blood of Jesus speaks of better things than the blood of bulls and goats. How many can amen that out here in this listening audience today? The blood of Jesus is far greater sacrifice for sin than the blood of bulls and goats. In fact, the blood of bulls and goats could have no effect on God to forgive sin the sin of the nation of Israel. If it was not a type and foreshadow and accepted as such as the blood of Jesus realized in its full expression at the cross in the new covenant. Praise God. Amen. Listen, listen to old covenant grace in, in Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name and forget not his benefits. I want to tell you some of the benefits of, of the, the old covenant here. Listen, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. He didn't remit the sin, but he covered the sin for a season in order for them not to be judged for their sin. And that's what that, that covenant grace was offering then. Who forgiveth thine, thine iniquity, who forgiveth thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who delivers thy soul from destruction, <laughs> who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. It goes on to say that you didn't reward us according to our iniquities. See, he showed mercy based on that type and foreshadow of Jesus. And now, here in the new covenant, we are far more highly qualified to pray. Amen. Because we don't just have authority with God. We've been granted authority from God. Jesus put it this way. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. We're not talking about physical enemies. They had victory over physical enemies when they were right with God in the old covenant. But they had, had no authority over spiritual powers and principalities. You won't find that in the old covenant. They were not qualified for that. But in the new covenant, we have become spiritual warriors. Praise God. And our victory doesn't begin over physical or material enemies, but over spiritual enemies. We are told to take the whole armor of God that hallelujah, because we're arguing against powers. This is Ephesians 6.10. For we argue not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places and the rulers of the darkness of this world. And then it enumerates each piece of spiritual armor. And all of this armor, after identifying our adversary, after showing us and revealing us our armor, so that we can be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, then it shows us the arena with, with which the battle is initially won. And when Paul enumerates all of this, he says, praying. 
praying. Having done all, stand praying. Stand praying with all prayer and all supplication for me and for all saints that utterance may be given unto me. But all of this armor, all of this, this, this weaponry spiritually is for the arena of prayer. Listen, I was in Washington, D.C. decades ago, really many, many years ago. I was a young pastor. I'm still a pastor. I'm just not a young one anymore. But I was in Washington, D.C. for a, a conference and in, in D.C. And one of the speakers was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Uh, and we were in the Capitol Hilton Hotel. And I remember what he said. And because he was asking for intercessory prayer for our nation. He was a Christian. It's amazing. Yes, there were politicians, and I believe some either are or certainly could be. And we need more of them. And that's what he said. We need more people that know that we need God and that God is our only hope uh, here in this nation. Listen, he said you can have the greatest army you uh, you can have the greatest, you can have the great, I'm going to start where he started. You can have the greatest boxer in the world contending for the championship of the world. He is confident. He is proven. He has the skills. He has the ability. He has the confidence. He has the courage. He has the boldness. He has the physique. He has the strength. He has everything he needs to defeat his adversary in the boxing ring. But if you can't get him from the Bronx to Madison Square Garden on the night of the fight, he loses by default. I want you to think about that today. If you can't get him into the arena where the battle is going to be won or lost, he loses by default. And because prayer, because just confessing the word and not praying, just just standing on the word and not praying and not qualifying to pray effectively, we, we've got something out of kilter here. We're believing God with our faith, but we're not receiving from God because we're not praying in faith. Because prayer is the avenue by which answers come. Amen. That's why the Bible said not to just say without ceasing, but to pray without ceasing. Confession has its place, but it doesn't take the place of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer stands in the gap and makes up the hedge. Amen. Glory be to God. And this is the arena that God wants to bring his church into and his children into right now to know that when we as his people pray according to his will with a fervency of heart, with with a, a purity of heart and a purity of motive, power is released. Praise God because prayer moves the heart of God and therefore it moves the hand of God. And I believe God is calling us according to this verse of scripture, if my people 
which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I shall heal their land. I've been praying for this today. And I have, I'm not waiting on, on, on the, on the scientist and the virologist and the biologist and, and the politicians and the medical arena. I'm not waiting for them to give me a ray of hope or a word of hope. I, I love to hear it when people do, but my faith is in the Lord God of Israel today and His promise and His provision. And I believe behind all of this are powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the rulers of all the darkness of this world. But I want you to know, amen, according to the word of God, we have been delegated authority. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And this mighty expression of authority and using our faith in God is expressed when we intercede effectively in prayer. Oh, I want you to join me today. Amen. In prayer for our nation and our world. We need a Holy Ghost revival, <laughs> not just for our survival. Amen. Yes, we will survive when God moves mightily in the land, but it's more than just being healed of this pandemic and this sickness that is, that is global. It is being healed of the deadly wound that sin inflicts. It's letting the oil and wine be poured lavishly into that wound to bring healing in the heart. We have a heart condition in our nation. We have a division that is allowed hatred on a level that I have never seen in my 74 years of life here in America. And I'm telling you, we need a healing. We need a healing. We need a healing between the races. We need a healing between the politicians. We need a healing in our land, in every level. And I believe that God wants to grant it. So I believe when we pray in concert according to the will of God and we meet these imperatives, we have power and we have authority to command the enemy to take his hand off this nation, take his hand off our loved ones, take his hand off our children, our households. Praise God. Amen. Because we have been given power and authority over all of the power of the enemy. Praise God. Today, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me for this nation, for our nation, that we might be able to see the mercy, the grace, the love, and the power of God manifest in a mighty revival, not just in America, but a global revival that will bring an ingathering of souls just before the coming of Jesus Christ. This, is, this shaking should bring a great awakening. Today, if you don't know Jesus, you are powerless 
I'm not talking about the power of your resolve, your, your, your strong constitution, your positive attitude. You may claim those things, but I'm telling you, against spiritual forces, you are powerless. You are helpless and you are hopeless unless you come to Christ as your Savior and your sins are forgiven and you are reconciled to God because the scripture said that until then you were without hope because you were without God in this present world influenced by all these evil forces come to Jesus today run to Jesus today Embrace His promise as you repent of your sin that He will forgive your sin and He will receive you as one of His very own. And you can join us when it says, If my people, (laughs) which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. Forgive their sin, heal their land. In Jesus' name.